0: High end over end variety, and Amati from his 45, he's got a lane, and he's got speed. Look out, beep, beep, the Ducks are in the end zone, touchdown! This is the Duck Pod, from the Register Guard Newsroom. Gordon head-to-head for sure. Mitchell goes in motion, they hand it off, straight! Sports beat writers Ryan Thorburn and Steve Mims.
1: Welcome back to the Duck Pod. Ryan Thorburn here with Ken Woody and Steve Mims, getting you set for Oregon, Utah in the Pac 12 championship game. Before we do that, let's rewind the Civil War. The Ducks win 24 10. Kind of a grinded out Civil War, not a lot of style points, not really a fun game to watch but an interesting game uh you know oregon state with a backup quarterback hung in there oregon needed some special teams uh dazzling special teams play by mikhail Wright, and also uh, a key turnover and a key stop by the defense to pull this one out ken why was oregon in such rough shape against the beavers defense which had really struggled for most of the year i think mario played a game that Uh, benefited
2: the beaver defense you know by keeping it conservative keeping it on the ground using up a lot of time they had two drives the first of the first half first of the second half that took up 13 minutes 31 plays 156 yards and three points and they're in at you know Oregon State's uh, weakness was defense and the the Ducks didn't really choose to try to attack
0: it they they kind of managed it there were three drives there in the what late in the second quarter where they got the ball basically plus position on their side of the 50 and didn't get a first down on any of them and punted it and it it almost felt like at that point they were 17 nothing like they'd seen from Jebbia that that's probably not a guy who's going to lead them to 17 unless they screw something up and almost felt like they were just I don't want to say running out the clock but felt like hey the worst thing we can do is punt this thing back and make them you know that's not an offense right now that's going to go 85 yards or 90 yards that we open this thing up they get a pick six or something that's kind of the only way back into it so that's the way it felt to me and they ended up I mean you've never seen an Oregon team punt on three straight possessions when all of them began on their own side of the ball but it just like I say it just felt like another opponent that they thought these guys aren't going to move anything on our defense they're probably not going to get to 17 which in fact they didn't so let's just make sure we don't do anything that helps them get there can you
1: guys imagine if Mark Helfrich kept punting from the opponent's 35 yard (laughs) line what the reaction would be I mean you know obviously Oregon's 10 and 2 Mario's off to a good start he's got 19 wins in two years but uh how do you think the fan base is dealing with this radical change in philosophy from what we saw from Chip Kelly and Mark Helfrich where they say whatever you want about, you know, the spread offense, they were always an attack. Well, I think the fans are starting to get used to
2: it a little bit. But the punting, all three of those punts, three-yard line, five-yard line, had a lot to do with the average starting position for Oregon State was their own 17. The Ducks was their own 45 big difference that's almost 300 yards over 12 possessions difference in field position and that's really what oregon state could not overcome
1: yeah blake maymon has been terrific i'm just saying it's it's just different that they're pinning teams back and relying on the defense to get the ball back.
0: Well, fans like to win. So, I, you know, they loved the spread because Oregon won with the spread. And then, you know, Mark Kelfrich brought it in and after Chip and kept winning. And so they loved it until it didn't win anymore. And then they didn't like him anymore and he was gone. And, um, you know, Mario's style is, you know, again, last year, nine wins. This year, ten wins. I think fans have certainly critiqued him more often in losses than wins. I mean, you look at games like, you know, the Arizona game a couple weeks ago, they scored 34, but it wasn't a real impressive offensive performance. But I think people tend to, uh, we're not going to really nitpick the wins too much because it's hard to get them. That I think 10 win. you know, if this team, if, you know, if the Washington and Washington State games go the other way, if Washington doesn't give up the 14-point lead, if Oregon comes into this thing 8-4, and four, I think the fan base is saying, wait a minute, this isn't the team we were sold. We were sold a contender. And even though they would have won the North with that, I think an 8-4 and would have brought out a lot. Whereas I just think, you know, when you get to 10 wins, it's sort of, you know, whatever style they're using that gets you to 10, I think fans at this point aren't unrealistic enough to expect 11 and 12 every year. So. 10 a pretty good benchmark, and I think they complain when it doesn't get there. And if you get there, I, I don't think they really worry too much how it, how you get it. But, again, then afterwards, all of a sudden, you know, even in the win Saturday, you heard some critiques of, of Marcus Arroyo. Certainly we heard it after the Arizona State game when they couldn't get the offense going and what's going on. So,
1: you know, it, it's it's always the same thing. The complaints come when you lose, and when you win, nobody's too upset about it. Yeah, I'm not surprised it was a 14-point game. I mean, we said last week 20 points was way too many. Oregon State had all the motivation they had to win to extend their season. Oregon, win or lose, was going to be in the Pac-12 championship game. Win or lose, the Rose Bowl was still out there for them. Their only motivation was pride, the rivalry, et cetera. So I'm not surprised it was a two-touchdown game. It was just... I didn't find it to be that entertaining of a game.
0: No, and part of that was Jake Luton not being there. I mean, I think when we said it's a two-touchdown game, that was thinking Jake Luton. I think once Jebbia comes in, I don't know what it does to the lines in Vegas, but he seems to me to be kind of a guy that's at least a seven-point add-on deal there because he wasn't real impressive with what he was able to do. And we'd seen the Oregon corners get beat a little bit the week before, and I think if Luton had been there, he'd been able to throw deep enough times and maybe be able to repeat some of that success that Arizona State had. But Jebbia just everything was, you know, to the tight ends over the middle. He couldn't find Hodges for a half at just felt like that, and he didn't he wasn't gonna be the guy to, to upset Oregon.
1: Ken, what is going on with Justin Herbert the last eight quarters? Well, I guess he did fire on all the cylinders late in the fourth quarter against Arizona State when it was desperation time. but what are you seeing from Justin as he kind of limps into the Pac-12 championship game here. I wish I was
2: his therapist and could, you know, answer that. I look back at the last couple games where he has really been into a rhythm and so on, and it has been when the Ducks have gone to tempo, either by choice or in the case of Washington State, last drive. In the case of Arizona State, getting behind so quickly. It just seemed that he was a lot more accurate a lot more decisive and i i think that has to be part of it you know this football the ducks are uh, playing is a lot like the football that my dad used to tell me about in the 40s lots of punts and it was before the pass was legalized you know <laughs> so um it's almost like it's just the kind of play calling and so on it's just awkward and it's like the the sweep they had to uh darian felix out of the blue, he comes out. He's you know has not been in the game. The irony is that if the tight end and wing had made their blocks, he might have scored. But the thing is, it's a play that you just—it's not been set up, and you're going. Well, where has Darian Felix been up to this point, anyway? Um, it's just—it's hard to explain. I—I I saw a thing on the TV replay that showed. Justin Herbert playing basketball when he was a freshman at Oregon, and they they were playing the football coaching staff.
1: Yeah, he swatted Willie's. (laughs) He swatted away,
2: poked it ahead, went up and went the length of the court and laid it up. And I just went, there is a beautiful athlete, and there is nothing that, you know, athletic that is causing any issues that he has. Now, whether he's pressing too much (laughs) or not, it's hard to say because he missed at least six points passes badly and yet he hit six that were just pinpoint and so uh, why is that i just think that offensive football that's effective has a flow to it and you need to be concerned about a flow now if you're a blacksmith you know outside of just hammer hammer hammer
0: the flow part does not come in i didn't know we were discussing blacksmithing today to be honest with you that wasn't on my prep sheet
1: steve <laughs> uh, on the flip side you know obviously the secondary had a bad night and tempe and was you know beat deep multiple times, including you know the back-breaking touchdown, that 81-yarder to Darby uh, when Oregon had a chance to get the ball back and win the game. I thought they bounced back rather nicely. Now, granted, Luton was out, but as you mentioned, Hodgins is a really good player, and he was blanketed for the most part. Thomas Graham did, made some great plays, including the key forced fumble that mm-hmm. uh, Brady Breeze recovered. Mikhail Wright even was out there on defense making some plays in addition to his uh, electrifying 98-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. How did you think Andy Avalos and, and the guys responded from you know, the devastation in Tempe?
0: Yeah, like I said, I think it's hard to tell just because it felt like Jebby – I mean, even, you know, Hodgins ends up with eight catches. It's for 85 yards. He's basically averaging 10. It felt like he was going out and running like five-yard outs and turn around just because he didn't think Jebby could get it to him if he ran more than about 15 yards. Because we saw him a couple times and turn around out there and miss him and he almost, you know, he's going left, the throw goes right, and you'd see him kind of stop and look back like they were on the side. I think he felt like the further he got downfield, the less chance they had to complete it to him, and he was trying to get something going offensively. So I think, I think the Hodgins stuff was all, you know, kind of underneath um, and we just, like I say, they just they never really threw deep. And we've seen them with Luton. I mean, Luton had thrown, I think, for 680 yards and nine touchdowns. And there have been some bombs in there. And I think we would have been interesting to see, Oregon, because that's, you know, in a game when Oregon scores 24, and maybe Oregon doesn't play the same way if they've got Luton in there. But if they had a, been able to connect on one or two just kind of big play opportunities to get down there, suddenly that's a game. I mean, it was a game as it was, a seven-point game in the fourth quarter. But just really with no vertical threat from, from Jebby, I felt like Oregon was able to kind of not, you know, just eliminate that part and just worry about keeping the guys in front of him.
2: There, there was not going to be a long ball to Hodgins, at least a couple times that I saw him. At times, the Ducks had three guys on him, two playing short and then somebody over the top. And it was incredible to see that. I, I mean, I've never seen a guy get triple covered like that. Yeah. And to not be able to go somewhere else with some effectiveness. Now, what I heard uh, Cristobal say, Monday, I think it was, that he felt that they had given up a little bit of the pass rush getting bigger, stronger guys in there to defend the run. And they did a nice job against the run, and they took Hodgins out of it. And, uh, you know, if Lutton's in there, yeah, it could have been a whole big different deal. And had that not uh, the first touchdown been called back, they would have put him up 7-3, hands to the face, end up getting a field goal to tie it. You know, you never know uh, what could happen. But I thought the defense did real well. You know, I'm just surprised to see – um, Scott in there at nose guard in a passing situation because they've usually brought him out. And although he did, I think, get in on a sack, he's not a formidable pass rusher. Uh, he's just not as quick, and he's not tall. And uh, the Oregon defensive linemen have got to do a better job of getting their hands up.
1: As we've established, Ken, you're not a psychiatrist, but <laughs> you play one here on the podcast. When it comes to Camden Lewis, another – up and down performance by him he's like Herbert sometimes the kick looks beautiful sometimes it's way off you know obviously special teams overall was really good with the kick return game and the punting but what's going on with the place kicker can he ever get this back he's only a freshman
2: well I'm at the point where I might get him and make him run the stadium steps a few times and just think about it you look at his extra point Percentage is one of the best in the league. It's ninety-eight percent. He's I think forty-nine out of fifty-one. What's that mean? That means from the middle of the field, he's real accurate. I've seen him uh, miss kicks from the left hash. That seems to be a problem. The one that he made, I think, was from the right hash. So, you, you know, it, this it's getting ridiculous. This we're this is major college. You were all American. You got to step up, and you you can do it. I just think that there's a little bit of his follow-through that. Occasionally, he comes across it too much, and the ball hooks, and that's where he missed uh, Saturday. So, you know, I'm getting kind of tired of it myself, and I can see where Cristobal would say, you know, unless it's in the middle, or the game depends on it, I'm going to go for it. And maybe there'll be a time the game depends on it, and he'll go for it. And right now, their third, their third down uh, percentage is not real good it was very poor against the uh, beavers but overall the season the third down conversion percentage is
0: better than camden lewis's at, uh, field goal percentage so uh. and this week you're looking at potentially rain and ugly muddy temperatures on the turf down there and a guy who's already struggling you know you you figure this thing looks like a 20 to 17 17 13 type deal there's going to be a field goal or two necessary and like I say you take away the you know the confidence he's dealing with anyway Then suddenly if he goes out there and it's freezing and raining and he's got clogs of dirt coming up when he goes walking out there you wonder about any kind of confidence he can have in in what would be the the biggest game for him.
2: That's absolutely right Steve I read a a study two weeks ago as a psychological and it was in a uh, journal a medical journal and they were talking about all the things that influence field goal kicking and you just mentioned all the ones that have a negative effect grass mud wind rain you, you know you don't get the consistent footing and uh setup for the ball on grass as you do in uh in a muddy deal and being in the bay area you, you know there's some vibes out there that are out of control that might Might have a bad effect too. So some of those vibes exist
0: in Eugene as well, I think. (laughs) Well
1: yeah. (laughs) All right, on that note, let's take our first break.
0: Hi there, it's Les Schwab Tires. You know, we've been helping keep folks safe on the road around here since 1952. That's why you can save up to $152 on a set of four select light truck and SUV tires during our fall tire sale. So swing by or book an appointment at Schwab.com. Les Schwab Tires, doing the right thing since 1952. Limited time offer while supplies last. Discount depends on tire size and type. Cannot be combined with other offers. Details at leschwab.com.
1: All right, we're back on the Duck Pod. Ryan Thorburn, Ken Woody, Steve Mims. Let's look ahead to the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, We're taping this before the uh, college football playoff rankings come out, but I think they'll be fairly close to what the AP poll is. Utah number five, Oregon number 13. Obviously, the Ducks blew their opportunity to play their way into the playoff with that loss at Arizona State. Utah still has a chance to do that. It's an interesting scenario because there's three of them, and two of them involve the Rose Bowl for the Ducks. You win the Pac 12 championship, mm-hmm. you go to the Rose Bowl, you win, or you lose, and Utah goes to the playoff, you still go to the Rose Bowl, or you lose, Utah gets snubbed by the committee, goes to the Rose Bowl, and you go to the Alamo Bowl, which I know is where all Oregon fans want to see their team play again after what happened yeah, just a, a month of TCU. a
0: month of build up <laughs> reliving the Alamo Bowl of 2015 that led to the end of the uh, of the two staffs ago but yeah no, it is you know, I think most Oregon fans still say the Rose Bowl is the one, you know, if you can get into the playoff, great, but a Rose Bowl is the, considered the, the proper way to end a year in, in Oregon in, in, the Rose Bowl, in the Pac-12, and you know the the fact that the opponent would end up being probably a Penn State, I mean, there could be a Wisconsin scenario, I guess, but probably Penn State, or, you know, it would be a good opponent, it would be a big-time opponent, it would be on New Year's Day, it would be, you know, it, it, and you say, they can get their win or lose, so that's one thing, you lose this game this week, you can still get in there, but, yeah, I, I gotta think the Alamo and now, Mark, you now, like I say Mario hasn't been there, so it's not like these guys have to live with the ghost past. But uh, I don't think fans are looking for what would be a third trip to the, to the Alamo Dome in about eight years. Yeah, in seven seasons.
1: Ken, yeah. which scenario plays out? Well,
2: I would get down on my knees tonight and pray that it be the Rose Bowl.
1: I know, but do they earn their way there or do they backdoor in there?
2: (laughs) Well, earning their way might just be to make this game competitive and a chance where it could go either way. I think right now there's a lot of uh, gloom and... Not a lot of confidence in, you know, what kind of Oregon offense is going to show up. Defense, hey, they're, they're doing fine job and as good as they can do with what they're working with. The offense, you just get the feeling they can be so much more and why aren't they? And Mario said something very interesting. I think it was yesterday. He said that that the tape gets around. And what he means is that teams see us, they see our tendencies, and then they play to those. And then he said, it's up to us to execute better. And it's interesting to me that at times, when the Ducks have played poorly, the answer is always we have to execute better. Like last year against uh, Michigan State, you got, what, 58 yards or something like that rushing. And the question, you know, going in is it's Oregon's offensive line going against the great defense of Michigan State. Well, Oregon got their hat handed to them. And the answer, you talk to a couple players, they said, we have to execute better. That's uh, That that doesn't cut it for me Uh You need to use your guys better. And so my feeling is that if a whole bunch of really big guys line up over there, let's go over there where they aren't, or let's go over the top of them.
1: It's interesting you mentioned the Red Box Bowl. I think Steve is being generous 2017. I see another 7-6 type (laughs) game this weekend. I mean, Oregon has the same offensive line they had last year against Michigan State. Utah's defense, in my opinion, is even better than Michigan State's was last year, and that's all Michigan State had was defense. They had no offense. So this is going to be a real struggle for Oregon. Uh, even if they were 11-1, and 1, I would have picked Utah. I picked in the preseason media poll, I picked Utah to win the conference and Oregon to win the North, and I'm sticking with that. I I don't see a way that Oregon wins this game other than these elements that are going to be in play it looks like uh, kind of a tsunami type situation if they can jump on a couple loose balls maybe they can you know flip the field position and score enough points but i don't see Oregon running the ball and i certainly am questioning whether they'll be able to pass the ball after the last couple of weeks yeah, I think Utah. The current eight-game
0: winning streak is like the average margin of victory is like twenty-nine, and other than that five-point Washington game in there, everything else has been fifteen or more. And they're almost just a victim of their crummy conference. You know, it's like people be talking more about them, but there's not a good win on their roster because, well, there's not a good you know they lost to the only other team in the top twenty-five, USC, and they didn't play Oregon in the regular season. So, and they played BYU for their big non-conference game, so that gives them nothing quality-wise, win-wise. Um, but otherwise, I think we'd be looking at this, and you know, this is a typical Pac-12. And out of those eight games, maybe there were two. Top twenty teams in there that they went and did that to. I think everybody's be sitting here talking about how this is maybe one of the better teams we've seen in you know the Pac twelve era. Say, but it just feels like they don't get some of that because of the fact they're beating up teams that are getting beat up every week. I mean, you're beating up Colorado and you know, even Washington's a four or five lost team in Pac twelve and this and that. There's just hasn't been anybody on their schedule that they could shut down that would impress people.
1: Yeah, you remember last year we were gonna have those road Pratt falls at Washington State and then Arizona. Then they had one more chance at Utah to say, okay, we can, let's turn this around on the road. The week before Utah loses Tyler Huntley, their starting quarterback, and Zach Moss, Moss the stud running back mm-hmm. of the Pac 12. So you're like, okay, there's no excuses now. And Utah still manhandled them. Uh, I asked Mario if, if he felt like him and, and Kyle Whittingham are kindred spirits because just their philosophies, starting with, you know, the line play pounding the run regardless of how it's going and he said well i don't know what's going on inside their program but certainly from what i see on film super respect there i think it's going to be you know it's going to be a brawl and i think uh whittingham has uh more brawlers right now well
2: whittingham is suckering Mario, into and when he says it's going to be between our defensive line and their offensive line. And what he's saying is that's between our defensive line and you because you're the offensive line coach. And if I'm playing Oregon, if I'm anybody, and I can distract Oregon from trying to be explosive and score lots of points as well as making a point in the line of scrimmage, then that works to my advantage. So uh, if Mario falls for that, Uh, It's going to be a sad deal. But I I can see Oregon matching up against Utah if they do what they have demonstrated at times they can do. So where is it, Oregon?
1: Yeah, well, one glass half full scenario. If if you did watch that Utah-USC game, USC's quarterback was injured. They went to a third-string quarterback, and he was throwing jump balls (laughs) way down the field, and USC's receivers were coming down with them. Is there a scenario where Jawan Johnson is the X factor here they finally turn Herbert loose with that arm and you know just go for it like USC did
0: yeah I mean they're giving up 56 yards a game on the ground and 11 of the 12 opponents have run for less than 100 so I don't think with you know Dye and Verdell and the group they've got they've got a guy where they think hey we're going to go strength on strength here I don't think that's strength on strength for Oregon but you know USC's you know, depth of their receivers obviously a lot different than Oregon too. You mentioned Juwan. There's just not a whole lot of other guys right now in that group that I see up going up and winning a lot of 50 50 balls. So um, I do think you have to. I mean, you got to go deep a few times. But again, Juwan doesn't really have the burst that you'd like to see to get down there. And then the other guys don't really have, like I say, the you know the one-on-one going up and getting the ball. So it's a tough matchup there too. But I do think you have to at least throw a few downfield. I mean, you got to take a shot or two to you know just because you can't sit there and just kind of pound it because Utah's proving all year long that they're not going to you're not going to go 80 yards keeping it on the ground the whole way well i've had a guy today come up to me and say
2: that he'd noticed that in herbert's missed balls most of them were to the right side of the field that he threw on the money down to the left side and down the middle. And the thing is, they don't throw very much down the middle, which to me does not take advantage of the fact that they run a lot in the middle. So you ought to have some play action possibilities. So I think that would be an interesting thing to look at because he has, the ball tends to sail on him when he throws to the right, and a lot of times it's because he doesn't have his body square to his target or, as Kirk Herbstreet pointed out on TV, his feet are such that his weight, his way on his back, foot and so you don't get as much on the ball and it sails so um you know fundamentally if herbert's on he's sharp I'd like to see that happen
1: the other area where maybe this could play into it i doubt it but all the pressure's on utah now they are supposed to win this game and they're the only hope for the playoff they've never won the pac-12 championship it's been winning goal since they got in the conference But the pressure's on them. I mean, Oregon's not going to the playoff. They could maybe still get in the Rose Bowl even if they lose – is there any chance Utah feels the pressure, or do they have too many seniors? Well, this feels
0: different than I mean, in the past years, I think they would lost at least two games in like every November, and there have been years where they were 4-0 or 5-0 and and then would go lose at USC and it would set off a three-game losing streak, and they'd be out of it. But last year, it started to turn a little bit when they got to the title game, but I think it's different. I mean, I think you could say the same. The pressure's been on them for the last seven weeks. Ever since they lost to USC, they are in a losing year out, and in particular, I think about the last three weeks, as the hype started building up and they started becoming a top 15 team and the playoff became realistic. We've seen them go out and, you know, they handled Colorado, obviously a a good win against Washington on the road. I mean, they've sort of taken care of it. I'm not sure there's any more pressure on them this week than there were the past couple weeks. And like I say, it's been an average margin of
1: victory of almost 30 points, so it hadn't gotten to them yet. So if Oregon hangs in there and Utah wins 13-10, is the committee going to go with Oklahoma Baylor winner or are they going to appreciate the physical... Plotting. We'll find Utah out years. some of
0: that tonight. I mean, you'll probably be listening to this, will know it by the time that they listen to this. But, you know, if last week Oklahoma beat a ranked team and Utah didn't, so there's a chance they move up at them tonight. But, and then next week, you know, Baylor's going to be ranked ahead of Oregon. So if the committee again has another chance, I mean, they could, they could move them ahead next week and just say, hey, look, it was a better win over the last, you know, one because Baylor would be a top 10 team. So there's a part of me that thinks that Utah is going to get left out of this thing, whether it gets jumped this week or next week. I think there's a, my thought is if Baylor, or if, if Oklahoma and Utah are both 12-1, Oklahoma is going to be the team that's in there just because they're going to have gone in with two, you know, a top 25 and a top 10 win the last couple of weeks, whereas Utah will have had Colorado and what looks like probably a top 12 team in Oregon.
2: Yeah. Are you saying that when they're 12... 12- Oklahoma 12 and 1 they're also the conference champion because yeah, it'll yeah. be Baylor. I I would think that would be the scenario where Utah could get jumped as the Pac-12 conference champion as if somebody else. But I think there's a lot of sentiment out there and you kind of you hear it on the talk shows. People are are kind of I'm not saying feeling guilty, but they're they're noticing the fact that Pac-12 has been uh, ignored and I think not that people are looking for a chance to not ignore them, but I I I, I think that might be a tough tough call if it ends up being close.
1: Yeah, I think that's a whole different debate, but clearly the sport needs to branch out from the Southern matchups every playoff and, and get the West Coast involved. So it'll be interesting. I think uh, Utah wins 17-7. And uh, has a shot there. Uh, I, th- I still think uh, Mario at ten and three in the Rose Bowl would be a good story. But uh, what do you think, Steve? I'd say probably twenty-seven, uh,
0: twenty. To, I'll say twenty-one fourteen. I'm not going to include any field goals. I'm not gonna I'm not going to give either team a field goal
1: this week. 30,
0: Thirty-five to
1: seven. Thirty-five seven wow. Utah. Yes. Then they're in the playoff. Yeah, and Oregon's in the Rose Bowl. So. Uh, We'll see what happens. Uh, Make sure you check out all of our coverage leading into and out of the game at ducksports.com, and thanks for tuning in.